Hey folks, Brian Cook, your host here with a couple of words from our new sponsor, T-Fury. T-Fury is the original pop culture t-shirt destination, selling unique designs every day since 2008. You can snag their shirts for only 24 hours starting at midnight. Missing a shirt from the past and want to get it again? Head to T-Fury Gallery where you can buy some old designs still in print and vote on others to come back from the dead. Every two to four weeks, T-Fury adds more designs to their gallery, so be sure to keep an eye out for the return of your favorite shirts. T-Fury shirts cover all your favorite topics and fandoms. They've got everything from gaming, sci-fi, anime, TV, movies, pop culture, and more. Their t-shirts change daily, so check back as often as you'd like. Also, don't forget about the T-Fury After Hours sale. If you miss the day's shirts by only a little, they keep the sale going into the wee hours of the morning just for you. This December, T-Fury has some awesome shirts that'll make great gifts for the pop culture enthusiast in your life. So check out tfury.com and see what today's shirt is all about. T-Fury, wear your art on your sleeve. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. We're releasing two rounds again this week. This is the first from a show recorded December 28, 2013 at the Davis Square Theater in Somerville, Massachusetts, featuring Jake McDowell, Kylie Alexander, Katie McCarthy, Nick Ortolani, and Sean Armistead reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. And speaking of the Somerville Theater, we will be back there on March 8th, 9.30, Doors, 10 p.m. show. You can find tickets on brownpapertickets.com. But for now, let's go back to December 28th and check out the show, Last Time I Was in Town. Enjoy. And please welcome your first round one comedian who has brought a prepared piece, Mr. Nick Ortolani, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. This piece is entitled, All's Wellsville That Ends Wellsville. Thanksgiving. 1999. For most people, Thanksgiving means the three F's, football, food, and family. But for my little brother Pete and I, this Thanksgiving meant answering the deepest questions of our lives. Ellen Hickel and I had walked to Wellsville High School and now stood in the middle of the football field. She was wearing a brown corduroy skirt, white blouse, and a tan vest that displayed her bosom which the passing college years had transformed from homely to fuckworthy. <laughs> Ellen, I said, why did nothing ever happen between us? I mean, you're a girl and a friend, but why were you never a girlfriend? She confessed, cause you were always so distant, Pete Wrigley. Like you were talking to someone who wasn't there. You never really seemed here. I slid my arm over her shoulder. Well, I'm here now. <laughs> Meanwhile, Pete was racing towards his own date with destiny. See, Pete had been kicked out of high school his senior year for starting his own religion and claiming the lunch line as his holy land. <laughs> he found a job driving the old Mr. Tasty truck, which he now parked outside of Nona F. Mecklenburg's house. He leaned on the horn and moments later, she sauntered out. 
The brisk November breeze had caused her nipples to broadcast through the membrane of her Stooges shirt like Pete's pirate radio station. Ugh, Hampshire College has more assholes than a proctology textbook, she said, arriving at the truck side. Pete made a face like he had just bitten into a sour anus. <laughs> Sounds like I'm not missing much, he said. Did you miss me? said Nona knowingly. Pete retreated into the truck. Moments later, the face of Mr. Tasty on the back door swung open, and Nona walked inside. Ellen and I were on the 50-yard line of the football field, directly in the center of Edna, the fighting squid. I slid my hand up her corduroy skirt. You're, you're not wearing any panties, I said. I thought this might happen, she responded. I had to sit cross-legged in front of my grandma all day. She unzipped my flannel jacket and began to unbutton my flannel shirt. <laughs> when her hands reached my khakis, she peeled off my flannel boxers and pulled out my hard cock, a flushed, gangly affair sporadically adorned with tufts of orange hair. Look looking like Ron Howard after a jog. <laughs> wow, she said. Now I know why they call you Big Pete. In the back of the Tasty truck, Pete began to take off Nona's shirt, gingerly sliding it over her left arm. You still wear that thing, he said, gesturing towards her cast. Yeah, she said. My therapist says it's part of some pain fetish. She unzipped his fly, sliding down his jeans and creb of the loom underwear. An Inspector 34 tag fell to the floor. No, said Pete. Use your bad arm. Nona felt her pussy smile. <laughs> she gripped her bandaged hand around Pete's schlong, which was as stocky as its owner. Pete felt the plaster rubbing up and down his shaft. He pulled her up, spun her around, and took the deep plunge. As this happened, a familiar pair of glasses rose out of the bushes, and the face of Artie, the strongest man in the world, peered in through the door of the Tasty Truck. But the object of his affection was not the two 18-year-olds! <laughs> it was his darling Petunia, emblazoned on the left arm of his little Viking. And with Pete and Nona's arms next to each other, it looked as if Petunia was riding cowgirl on a body burn victim. <laughs> he dug into his spandex and began to tug. When he looked up, Petunia was gone. Artie turned to leave, but was instead greeted by his lover in the flesh. She pulled him back into the bushes and yanked down his spandex, revealing a penis that could only be called confusing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
Artie's body contorted, doing its best impression of the Greek alphabet <laughs> before falling to the ground. Petunia crouched over him and pulled up her dress, revealing a vagina that could only be called a cunt. <laughs> now, Artie had never known the touch of a woman before, and despite his legendary stamina, it was only four minutes before he pulled out and shot a load onto Petunia's face with such force that it knocked her back onto Pete's arm. Once again, an inanimate object with a mysterious story. Meanwhile, Pete was drilling Nona's ass like there was oil at the bottom. A series of hand slaps had made her pasty cheeks look like a preschool art project. He heaved, Nona's head began to smack against the orange Lazarus machine. <laughs> Fuck me harder, she screamed at the top of her lungs. Make them put a plate in my head like your mom. <laughs> this made Pete harder than calculus to a shovel. In one fluid motion, he pulled his cock, now looking like a sludgesicle, out of her ass and signed Nona's cast with his fuck butter. His load began to seep in through the plaster of the cast. It was the first thing her arm had felt in years. And the sensation made her pussy squirt a late big enough for Bob the Bass to live in. Meanwhile, it was fourth and goal. Ellen was underneath me, her breasts marching in time to my thrusts. I remembered our days in the band, forming the giant squid on the field, and Ellen standing as the dot right where we were. I have something for you, I said, steam coming from my mouth. I pulled myself out of her and spewed my school spirit onto her stomach, <laughs> where it pooled into a circle. Ellen's eyes lit up. Perfect. Dotness. And as the last glimpse of the sun kissed the horizon, a harmonica faintly played in the distance. And we knew that this night would live on in our memories forever. Thank you. Nick Ortolani. Good job, buddy. Keep it going for Kylie Alexander. Thank you. Uh, I'm Kylie, and this uh, piece is called Cake Eaters. <clears throat> Malibu, 1994. Coach Bombay stands in his expansive new home and examines his suit in the mirror. Now that I'm wealthy, he thinks, I guess I should slick my hair back. I guess that's the thing to do now. He obeys this age-old creed and applies some gooey shit with a hefty price tag to his sandy, blonde, windswept hair as he ponders his current situation. He's the coach of Team USA at the Junior Goodwill Games, which is comprised of some of his beloved Mighty Ducks as well as some new recruits that completely enforce the stereotypes of the areas they come from. <laughs> Uh, 
Dwayne from Texas carries a rope around with him for Christ's sake. <laughs> Team USA is on a winning streak as well as a box of Wheaties and everything is terrific. Sure, little Charlie Conway has made one or two remarks hinting at the idea of him being a sellout and the place in Gordon's heart for Hans, the old wise German skate sharpener and somehow friend has been replaced by his less friendly brother, Jan. But who gives a shit? Did you see that view of the ocean? That's right. Apart from being in need of a good solid fuck, this was a perfect LA jaunt for Gordon Bombay. Coach Bombay is headed to a press conference before Team USA's game against Italy, who have more likely than not brought meatballs with them in lieu of hockey pucks as the team from Jamaica was seen yesterday playing steel drums. <laughs> After graciously answering the press's questions with his signature boyish charm, Bombay excuses himself saying, see after we win. He begins to make his way down the hall when someone turning the corner crashes into him. Oh, I'm sorry, he says. A tough-looking yet elegant blonde girl responds in a thick accent. No, no, it was me. I was clumsy. He looks at her mouth, at the way it stands slightly parted when she's done forming the words. He's almost too consumed with the image of her lips on his cock to ask her. Aren't you, um, Maria, I'm the trainer for Iceland. Iceland was the only team that stood to defeat USA. And here they were, eyes locked in this carpeted conference facility, her lips theoretically wrapped around his Minnesota member. They were star-crossed fuckers. Maria was herself sledgehammered by lust. That suit, those gray eyes, she saw herself touching his gelled solid hair as she writhed on him, the Italian suit beneath them, the silky fabric grazing their fevered flesh. Gordon was just about to break their heavy silence when it was done for him. Maria, someone viciously barked. An even slicker man appeared behind the girl, looking like a dog catching his bone mid-theft. It was Wolf the Dentist Stanson, the coach of the Vikings. He approached Bombay. Startled, Bombay stammered, We haven't officially met. Coach Bombay, the man said. He smelled like Viking shark urine. <clears throat> I know my competition, I know you, he continued in his stinging Icelandic tongue. Full of confidence, cocky, American, I like that. He walked away and Maria begrudgingly followed. That night, Maria sat in her hotel room, hypnotized by the swaying palm trees and indulging in the memory of her encounter with Coach Bombay. She turned the TV down so she could focus and remember it exactly. His gaze, how wet he made her. Just then, a note was slipped under the door. It read, meet me for ice cream. <laughs> Meanwhile, Portman and Reed, better known as the Bash Brothers, <laughs> were getting some fresh air the only way they knew possible, running up and down the streets, screaming in people's faces, headbutting each other bloody, and playing air guitar to the spin doctors. <laughs> Reed's eyes were filled with blood, but Portman could see just fine. Whoa, hold up, he said. Check this out. He pointed across the street to a couple arm-in-arm -arm sucking on ice cream cones. What is it, Reed screamed. It's Coach, you fucking cake eater. He's with that Iceland babe. 
They quickly crossed the road and started to follow them, catching the tail end of this conversation. No, no, Iceland is green and Greenland is covered in ice. Neither of the Bash brothers could be sure of the geographical accuracy of this statement, but they were sure of one thing, that motherfucker Gordon was gonna pay. 12 to one, Coach Bombay muttered, once again louder, 12 to one. Team USA slash basically the Ducks had just had their asses handed to them by the Vikings. You know what word comes to mind when I see that number? They all waited and watched for him to continue. Averman, Julie the Cat Gaffney, Goldberg, Jesse, Gee and Connie, the whole gang. Pathetic, he hissed. The Bash brothers wordlessly stood up and approached Gordon. You have a good night last night, coach? Silence. Did you go out, maybe get some dinner? Jesse Hall was next to close in on Benedict Bombay. How about some dessert? Maybe a little, I don't know, ice cream? Julie the cat Gaffney rushed Coach Bombay, visibly nervous now, and secured an iron grip on his balls normally reserved for the inside of her glove. Bombay was sweating as more and more disgruntled teens stood up, their gear still on, their hair still matted from their helmets. Fulton, Portman, grab him, Julie commanded. She stripped down to her bare porcelain teenage flesh as the Bash brothers secured the coach between them. Hey, 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 what is this, coach screamed. He was confused, rattled, and undoubtedly irreversibly hard. He wasn't sure what was happening, but his body was aching for the answer. <laughs> Julie ordered Connie and Guy to fetch Maria from the other locker room. Her skates still on, her skates the only thing still on, she sat on Gordon as the Bash brothers lowered him onto a sweaty bench, tying his hands behind him with the aid of both of their bandanas because ducks fly together. <laughs> So you're a fucking traitor, are you, she purred. You're a fucking traitor, and I hear you like ice cream, too. Little Russ Tyler discovered one day when the ducks decided to slum it and learn the laws of street puck in south-central L.A., appeared with a tub of half-melted vanilla ice cream. He walked behind Gordon and pushed him forward so his chest touched the bench. Russ made a fist and immersed it in the melted, frozen treat. It's knuckle puck time, he shouted and Gordon felt a Kenan Thompson-sized fist enter his asshole. <laughs> he wailed with unbridled pleasure as the kids all started chanting, quack, 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 quack! <laughs> Seemingly encouraging Russ to further enter the coach further and further. Bombay came in his suit pants, which had been pushed down around his taut thighs at some point. Everything was blurry, and the ducks were delirious with glee, chanting and laughing and shouting. When Russ was through, little Jesse Hall entered Gordon's hazy view. You think we met because of hockey? You think that we, a group of kids totally unable to play hockey, gave a flying fuck about hockey? That day on the ice, when you drove up in your limo that very first day, that was a meeting of the most fucked up, cum-thirsty, nymphomaniac freaks in Minnesota. You know what cake eater means? You know what cake means? Cake means cunt. 
Yeah, bitch. Warm, soft, moist. Just then, Connie and Guy arrived with Maria, who seemed to enter the chaotic locker room somewhat willingly. She's real pretty, Coach Julie, the cat Gaffney said. Did you fuck her last night? Fuck, they did. Coach Bombay brought Maria to his ridiculous Malibu house after their dairy date and filled all of that empty 90s minimalist space with the echoes of their animal sex sounds. <laughs> Gordon conceded, yes, they had. And Goldberg, I mean Gordon, sorry. And Goldberg chimed in. We need to see exactly what happened. I don't want to hear one word about it. I want to actually see our coach sleeping with the enemy. He was full of adrenaline, having posed as Aaron Spelling's nephew in order to get into a Rodeo Drive boutique earlier that day. <laughs> he and a few of the guys were treated to a private fashion show, followed by fingerings all around. <laughs> Thinking on this, it was all too much, and he audibly farted, causing everyone to exclaim, Goldberg! <laughs> Despite that last moment, Maria was turned on, to say the least. She was lightheaded, and her nipples hardened the moment she walked in and saw Julie the Cat Gaffney's perfect 17-year-old peach-like little ass. She saw the cum staining Coach's pants and knew that they were going to fuck and they were going to like it. The Bash Brothers reclaimed their bandanas, and as promised, Gordon grabbed Maria in exactly the same manner as he had the night before. She hurriedly took off her jeans and shirt as he kissed her tits, lightly bit her lips and neck, and grabbed feverishly at her ass. Her clothes were barely off when he penetrated her tight little cunt with his clothes still on, unable to wait. It was all mouths and hands and hair and their hearts racing each other. She came once and pulled his hair as she sat him up against the sweaty lockers. Everyone was either silent or silently touching themselves. Apart, <laughs> Apart from Averman, who momentarily got inches away from the two and shout whispered, the quack attack is back, Jack. <laughs> Ever the gentleman, Banks, formerly a hawk, and therefore a former enemy to the ducks, politely took a break from taking pictures, which he would later present to his creepy father in order to finally learn his earn his pride, to pull Averman back and shut him the fuck up. When Bombay, with Bombay sitting up, Maria rode him harder and deeper until they simultaneously came, gasping for air, choking, dying in ecstasy. She kept him in her a few moments longer to feel him throbbing against the walls of her aching cunt. Co <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Coach Bombay attempted to stand. Oh, no, no, wait a minute, chirped Julie, the cat Gaffney. The game can't possibly be complete without utilizing our infamous flying V. Isn't that right, Coach? Coach Bombay nodded in exhaustion, spent but curious. Once again, the team chanted quack, 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 as Julie walked to the opposite end of the room and sized up the coach. With a few running steps, she spread her legs and jumped, her bare, pearly pink vagina landing smack on Bombay's face. <laughs> he didn't hesitate to lick and savor her like his coconut almond swirl the night before. 
Julie arched her back, grabbing the blades on her skates, and the ducks had just about lost their fucking minds by the time her cheeks were that particular pink and she was ready to slink off of Gordon's full lips. Sweet teenage loads were blown everywhere, and Connie and Guy were fucking standing up. Okay, Julie said breathlessly, grabbing Bombay's Armani tie. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go back to your acid-washed jeans. You're gonna burn that ridiculous and inexplicable cardboard cutout of yourself. You fucking get all that, coach? And tomorrow we are going to tear out Iceland's heart and shit it out in front of their parents in the finals. Coach obliged. He opted for his rollerblades as opposed to his shiny new car to get home. And Queen's We Will Rock You was playing on his Walkman as he smiled and thought, We're gonna have one of our fun practices tomorrow. I'm definitely gonna bring in a beach ball or two. They deserve it. Thank you. Kylie Alexander. And keep it going for Jake McDowell. There he is. Tila Tequila stepped into the time machine. The modern age held nothing for her. As the object of ridicule, mockery, and persecution by the Hebe media, life had become unlivable. She was Tila Tequila, goddammit. A shot at love with Tila Tequila, her lesbian sex tape, her blog, her brief career as a recording artist, and also other things. She had given them all so much and gotten nothing in return. Now she was gonna be free of it all. Free of the jokes, free of the criticism, and most importantly, free of the Zionist New World Order that controlled everything from the shadows. <laughs> Teela was gonna go back to a time where she could truly be appreciated. The year was 1945. It was April in Berlin. These were dark days for Germany, and Adolf Hitler was one sauerkraut. <laughs> The Red Army had completely surrounded the city. His supply lines had been broken. Himmler, his best friend and sometimes gay fuck pal, had totally ditched him. Even the stable of beautiful young Aryan men that he fucked in secret had all fled Berlin. <laughs> Lately, all he had was boring old hatchet-faced Ava Braun. And she couldn't even get his dick to move. The fascist madman paced around his underground bunker. Hitler was pretty stressed out, and he needed to come. He was desperate for a lay. He would fuck anything, literally anything. All of a sudden, a bright flash filled the room. Hitler rubbed his eyes. When the spots disappeared, a gigantic silver egg sat smoking in the middle of Der Führbunker. <laughs> Terrified, like an incredibly wimpy little pussy, Hitler pissed himself as the egg cracked open. The scent of urine danced in the air, mingling with the rotten cooter fumes that spewed forth from Tequila's rancid vagina. <laughs> Hitler drew his Luger and aimed it at the misshapen goblin woman that had emerged from the egg. <laughs> what are you doing in mine for your bunker? Hitler uttered between soft girlish sobs. 
There was still a light patter on the floor as urine continued to trickle from his limp, shriveled member. She was dressed like a Nazi, but like a really, really slutty Nazi. She teetered drunkenly on her high-heeled jackboots. Tila Tequila, who had been drinking the entire voyage through town, threw up almost immediately. Vomit poured between her fake tits, staining the low-cut stormtrooper uniform she had wriggled into four weeks prior and had not changed since. Hey, Hitler, I want you to do me. Tila slurred, puke still bubbling from her college, college and inflated lips. Hitler didn't know, quite, quite know what it was about her. It could have been her greasy hair or her horrible tattoos. It could have been her stumpy legs or her giant forehead. Or the fact that she gave off an odor that you could taste. The sight of her made bile rise in the back of his throat, yet his dick was hard as a diamond. Clumsily unfastening his piss-soaked trousers, Hitler liberated his three-and-a-half-inch penis from his soiled undergarments. <clears throat> Unable to control herself, Tila ripped off the rest of Hitler's brown uniform. He stood before her nude. At that moment, he was not the leader of the Axis forces, but just a man. A man with a sunken chest and a cock that looked like a mangled Vienna sausage had been crammed into a bird's nest. <laughs> Tila dropped to her knees. <laughs> Tila dropped to her knees. The most popular person on MySpace eight years ago was... <laughs> he... I'm gonna take that back. Tila dropped to her knees. The most popular person on MySpace eight years ago was nose to cock with one of history's greatest monsters. Her dreams were finally coming true. Without hesitation, Tila took his whole disgusting batch into her mouth. In between mouthfuls of dictator, Tila tried to say something. In between mouthfuls of dictator, Tila tried to say something about the Illuminati, but Adolf thrust his hips, roughly sending his syphilitic dick further down her throat. Hitler moaned as the insane little troll gummed his member, drooling out the side of her dumb idiot mouth. Unable to wait any longer, Hitler threw Tila onto his desk. He ripped open her shirt, exposing a pair of lopsided fake tits with nipples like Marty Feldman's eyes. <laughs> breathing heavily, <laughs> breathing heavily, he lifted her, oh boy. Breathing heavily, he lifted her skirt and peeled off her crusty swastika pattern G-string. Hitler vomited and shat himself simultaneously. For, for spread before him was one of the most horrific things he had ever seen. And that was really saying something because he was Hitler and he had committed some of the greatest atrocities mankind had ever witnessed. Tila Tequila's pussy looked like somebody had shot a pound of Arby's roast beef with a shotgun that only fired venereal disease. Hitler hated himself for what he was about to do. 
He slid his pathetic manhood into the yawning maw she called a vagina. He pumped away, feeling a mixture of ecstasy and disgust. I'm not saying that fucking Tila Tequila is worse than the extermination of six million Jews, but this was absolutely a, no, a new low for Adolf Hitler. The door to the bunker swung open and Hitler looked up and found himself looking at the dog-like face of his longtime beard, Ava Braun. Horrified, but also very aroused, Ava dropped the tray of bratwurst and soft German pretzels that she was carrying. She ripped off all of her clothes, revealing a set of heavy B Bavarian tits and a bush you could lose a toddler in. <laughs> Ava dove vagina pussy first into the horrible fuck pile that was happening in the middle of the bunker. The war may have been lost, but Adolf Hitler's libido was as strong as ever. The three became a mass of twisted limbs and soft, wet fuck sounds. Not an orifice went unviolated. Tila uh, teased Hitler's in inverted nipples as Ava worked a piping hot bratwurst into his unwiped asshole. Adolf Hitler withdrew his sick, his slick, disease-ridden cock from the MySpace sensation's gaping rectum as she buried her face in Ava's thicket of matted pubes. <clears throat> Unable to hold it back, Hitler let loose a geyser of thick yellow man gravy which coated the two women from head to toe. After everyone had come five or six times, Adolf, Ava, and Tila lay in a pile of post-coitus bliss. The odor of German meat and fuck stink in the bunker was unbearable and overpowering. But they didn't care. Tila Tequila opened her dumb mouth and started si to sing one of her horrible songs. <laughs> As the first screeching, warbling note escaped from Tila Tequila's thin whore lips, Ava Braun bit into a cyanide capsule. <laughs> Hitler raised his luger to his temple and shot himself in the brain. Tila Tequila got back in her time machine and it exploded immediately. They were all dead and the world was a better place. The end. Thank you. Jack McDowell. He had me at Tila Tequila stepped into a time machine. Uh, keeping over Katie McCarthy. Good evening, Somerville. I have a question for you. Do you know the first time you awoke sexually? I do. It was November 28th, 1985. Where? Revere, Massachusetts. Yes, the seaside paradise. <laughs> On the television screen, it was the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And floating by, it was Scott Bayo. <laughs> now, I don't exactly remember it. I was three. <laughs> But when your mother tells you you were acting horny, who are you to second guess? <laughs> Segway, television, emergent feelings. So I was commissioned to write a piece of erotic fan fiction, and while these events may be imaginary, the desire within is completely real. So I present to you Supermarket Sweep, cart full of fuck. 
With the intensity of a starved lioness let loose amongst a pack of crippled hyenas, I hunt bargains from the weekly circulars. Someone with such prowess of budget can't really be surprised when she makes it to the supermarket sweep tryouts. But I was surprised there was a tryout. But then again, this was for the Lifetime Network, premium on quality. I mean, if you've seen Lifetime originals such as Baby Monitor, Sound of Fear, or Baby for Sale, you fucks know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I was ready to do anything to prove my place as the sultaness of snipping savings. And there he was, host Johnny Gilbert. The fluorescent lights glinted on his forehead. There was a faint smell of rum. His brown toupee shifted forward slowly in sync with the swelling of my meaty seashell. <laughs> so, uh, really, this is about... Uh, he paused and he looked me up and down. He bit his lip. His lip was wet. <sighs> and as he paced around, I could tell God didn't give him no bargain bin dong. <laughs> Mainly, I'm here to just lead you through the aisles, you know, the ins and outs, so to speak. It gets you familiar with the terrain. I smiled, and as he raised his eyebrows like a naughty mister, his toupee slid back into place. I clutched the shopping cart bar, and I felt a film of horny sweat develop on my hands as I said, I'm ready for this Johnny Gilbert. First, we rolled into the produce section. Look, Patricia, I know you have a good sense of price points. I just need to know how deep your knowledge goes. <laughs> oh, it goes deep. What do I have to do? Arms up. With one hand, he tore off some produce baggies and bowed me to a pole. And with the other hand, he grabbed the intercom receiver into which he said, Mr. Yuck to produce, Mr. Yuck to produce. A costumed gorilla man toddled over, and then suddenly, fuzzy polyester hands were covering my eyes. For the first round, we're going to do a little comparison, Patricia. I know you can do, tell a bargain on sight, but I need you to do it on feel. Before I knew it, my Hanes Herways were bunched at my ankles, and I felt something wide that eventually tapered up the end, slide up my she cylinder. I... <laughs> I squeezed myself around the object to get a full sense of what it could be. P.S. Note to self, if I make it to the actual show, I have to kegel more. P.P.S. Whatever went in there kind of felt kind of wilty. It had a little give. Is this a carrot? I said. That's right, now let's compare, he said as he slowly slid it out. It tickled. I, I felt another carrot go in. This one feels more expensive, I said. This carrot was thicker and firmer. I'm gonna need more, Johnny. I'm gonna need more. He worked it in and out, and I felt a little bit of my own seasoned cream drip from my own hidden valley. Is this carrot organic and possibly locally grown? That's right, Patricia. Hmm, it's like, why not spend a few extra dimes to better the world? Sorry to bring politics into this. So I'm going to say these ones are $2 a bunch. And then the first carrot, I'll say, it felt like it was from the reduced price produce tray. So 19 cents a bunch. 
That's correct. God, you're good. Now I need you to hold both of these carrots still, just the tips in you. I clutched them with my love expressway, and he chewed his way up the carrots. He gave my grateful pink button a gentle lick, and then, well, you can just call that tongue Swiffer as he cleaned my legs of his fluids, but not very thoroughly. <laughs> Mr. Yuck, untie her. Now we're gonna head to the meets. It's best if you do this nude, aerodynamics and so forth. <laughs> I trust a man of science, so I did as he commanded. <laughs> we call this round Meet the Meat. Now grab that jumbo butterball. I grabbed it and almost immediately he knocked it out of my hands onto the floor. Down! Get it under your hips, my special baby. You ready for some turf fucking? He stuck a finger. He stuck a finger in my fuck aisle. Taste your love gravy. He shoved his fingers into my mouth. It tastes pretty good. I have to remember this as a glaze for my famous au gratin for the next church potluck. <laughs> then down came his dockers and what they contained, well, let's just say a family of four could subsist on cock sandwiches for an entire week. And I thought I couldn't get wetter. Then he unleashed his man cannon into my coupon clipping cooter. <sighs> You're so juicy and red, they should just call you Five Alive from Concentrate. Ugh. An insider tip at three for a dollar, it's a deal that can't be beat. Now I'm gonna log a little something else into your bottom side coupon file. The angle over the giant turkey carcass made him hit spots I never knew I had. Also, eventually, the little flesh ball underneath me warmed up so that it was kind of like when I'm bent over in my living room doing some yogic hip opening exercises, just rewinding and rewatching and rewinding and rewatching and rewinding and rewatching my favorite Patrick Swayze scenes when my toddler climbs underneath me. Needless to say, it felt like home. Oof. Sorry to bring in them feeling stuff. Let's get back on the fuck track. Eventually, the heat was so great, the little thermometer in the turkey popped, echoing my neck bowls. Well done, to say the least. <laughs> Up top, Johnny was losing his mind. Ah, oh, I miss my mother, my real mother. <sighs> my love flood then was high fructose corn syrup. Well, we'd have to invent a new kind of diabetes. <laughs> Type 69. <laughs> okay, Patty, uh, one last round. We need to make sure you can manipulate the cart for the big sweep. You know, it's just liability thing. May I have the special cart, Mr. Yuck? Mr. Yuck rolled over a cart with the largest dildo I have ever seen attached to its end. Compared to that second carrot that had been in within me earlier, there was nothing organic about this orange yum stick. Now smear some Gerbers on there. I'm gonna bend over this Huggies display. I'm gonna need you to ram jam my manhole. Girlishly hesitant, I said, don't I have to work you up first, you know, for safety's sake? 
Hmm? No. I had a pepperoni in there for the past hour in preparation. <laughs> Dried meats hold pe- pretty well, you know. It's good. As I applied the apricot goo to the fuck toy, he extracted the dried meat stick and bent over. I slammed into his pepperoni cozy with a viciousness rivaling only that of a pack of grandmas on triple coupon day at Kroger's. Faster, faster, show me you know how to be a courteous shopper. And what happened next? Well, let's just say, clean up in aisle nine. Uh, hold that in there, Patricia, until I say so. Well, you passed the test. You're in, Patricia. And how, Johnny Gilbert? And how? <laughs> Katie McCarthy. And your final round one competitor, Sean Armistead. This is a story of the original odd couple. Detective Martin Riggs and Sergeant Roger Murtaugh. This is called Lethal Weapons 69, Weapons of Ass Destruction. (laughs) It was nearly Christmas in Los Angeles. But we all know that doesn't stop the pushers and the pimps. There's only one thing more tenacious than criminal scum. The men we rely on every day to stop them. With the chief under pressure from the mayor taking our heroes off the case, we find Riggs and Murtaugh alone in Murtaugh's office filled with anger. The kind of anger that can only come from unfinished justice and obvious sexual tension. Riggs slams the door closed behind him, fueled by Foster's and weird Australian Baptist rage. (laughs) Damn it, Riggs. Too close to the case, my ass, Murtaugh said. Frustrated erection already visible in his ill-fitting but sensible 80s slacks. We're grounded for now. We could still do this, but we're going to have to do it my way, and it's going to get bloody, Riggs said, anti Semitically. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have in mind, Riggs? Another one of your crazy ideas? I'll show you crazy, old man. How about we take a break? I'm not a desk jockey, Murtaugh said, vaguely aware of the different trajectories their careers were already taking. Maybe we can do something where my shoot-first-ask-questions-later style comes in handy for a change. Murtaugh looked on, confused. pushed his ebony mountain of a partner into his desk and forcibly bent him over, removing his belt in one sneaky Aussie motion. As he began to remove his Jew-hating penis from his jeans, Murtaugh protested. No, we're doing this by the book. 
He swiveled in a rose and pulled Riggs in and kissed him tenderly, as if this wasn't the subtext of the entire movie series all along. He reached down Riggs' pants and started stroking with all the passion and skill of a confused 15-year-old. They groped and probed each other's hands as their passionate embrace continued. Murtaugh quipped, Well, Riggs, here I am, all dressed up with no one to blow. He dropped to his knees. Hey, that's a nice piece you got there, Riggs. I just had it polished. But you might also like my backup. Wait, you have two dicks? No, I meant like a gun and then my penis. <laughs> oh, okay, that was weird, Murtaugh said, as he spit on Riggs' cock. <laughs> Most likely uncircumcised. With all the gusto of a man nearing retirement, he wrapped his strong chocolate lips around Riggs's cock like it was some sort of anti-Semitic popsicle. <laughs> you know, it did a kid in Laos. Only eight or ten or men in the world could have made that shot, remarked Riggs without regard for context, just like in the movie where they spend 45 minutes establishing he's crazy as if he didn't figure it out at the beginning. <laughs> He had his cock in his mouth, and Riggs looked down. <laughs> Murtaugh replied. Enough foreplay, time for the meat of the case, Riggs said in a surly anti-Zionist tone. He, he pulled his partner up and bent him over the desk using Tai Chi or Jiu Jitsu or some shit. He spit on his piece and then on the asshole of his partner. It was cuter than he imagined, Riggs thought. Bend over, sugar tits. What did you just call me? What? Nothing. It's the 80s and everyone still loves me. It's just that Jews control the media. <laughs> he pushed into his ass like he was kicking in a perp's door without a warrant. Happy birthday, Raj. He began dutifully pumping away like a gas station attendant in one of those stupid states where they don't allow self-service. <laughs> now, is this better than your wife's cooking? Asked Riggs. Murtaugh stared his partner in the eye with a question of his own. Are you really crazy, or are you as good as they say you are? <laughs> you got the point of that last note, right? Riggs reached around his partner's aging but still rippling torso and started stroking his cock. The pace started to quicken and become easier to follow, much like the plot of each entry in the series. <laughs> he noted his own surprise that his shoulder hadn't popped out of joint. Perhaps later, he thought. Murtaugh's gravelly voice cried out, Riggs, Riggs, I'm gonna come. And so he did leaving a pool of semen all over the desk, smearing his reports. Not that Riggs cared about goddamn paperwork. 
Now it's my turn, Riggs said, sliding in and out of his Australian accent just as sure as his cock slidden out of his partner's rectum. Riggs ejaculated in time spurts, filling his partner with the contents of his loose cannon. He filled him with a lot of cum. Probably too much. Like, at first it seemed normal for a man of his obvious virility, but then it was, like, way too much. Like, maybe Mel Gibson should see a doctor or something? It was really weird. Murtaugh tried to extricate himself from Riggs's cock to no avail. You can take the man out of Australia, but you can't take the Australian out of another man. Dick firmly still an ass. Riggs reached down to the puddle of semen on the desk with his fingers outstretched. He dipped his finger in the puddle of cum and collected some on the tip. He brought the jizz-covered finger to his tongue and took a small taste. It's pure, he said. (laughs) They both collapsed in a sweaty heap on the floor. Well, looks like we're done in time for your daughter's graduation, Riggs joked. I'm too old for this shit, said Murtaugh. Literal shit mixed with ejaculate dripping from his asshole. They both laughed heartily while some lazy Clapton guitar and sax score wailed in the background, kind of like this. to the sun setting on the skyline of the city of Lost Angels. Thank you, everybody. Sean Armistead. Let's get everybody from round one back out. All right, so you guys will be voting on a winner from round one with your applause, but first I'm just going to remind you who everybody was and what they read. We started with Nick Orlani with uh, Adventures of Pete and Pete. Uh, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're not voting yet. I'm just reminding you, then we'll vote. Sorry. Nick with Pete and Pete, Kylie Alexander with Mighty Ducks, Jake McDowell with Tila Tequila and Hitler, Katie McCarthy with Supermarket Sweep, and Sean Armistead with Lethal Weapon. So now, with your applause, starting with Nick Ortolani, Pete and Pete. (laughs) Kylie Alexander, Mighty Ducks. (laughs) Jake McDowell, Tila Tequila, and Hitler. Katie McCarthy, Supermarket Sweep. And Sean Armistead, Lethal Weapon. That's a close one. I think I'm calling it for Jake McDowell, Tila Tequila, and Hiller. Let him hear it. Thank you, guys. Well, that does it for round one. And remember, you can download episode 55 right now to hear round two. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on iTunes. It's a big help, as are positive comments. Negative comments can always be directed to the podcast Terrified with Dave Ross. Upcoming live shows include March 7th at Union Hall in Brooklyn, March 18th at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles, March 22nd at the Blue Monk in Portland, Oregon, and May 7th at the Rendezvous in Seattle. Stay tuned for details on Cromfest in Omaha, Austin Sketchfest, Limestone Comedy Fest in Bloomington, plus Chicago, Denver, and more. 
For other details, you can join the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Facebook group or follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 